Hi there. Today you're listening to Fruit Pursuit with Mary Aldrich. This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Join me as I share some practical applications of the fruit of the Spirit. Here is where you can learn tools to cultivate things like love when you find your son sitting in paint, joy while cleaning up the paint, and peace in more areas besides just hiding in the bathroom. Yes, it is possible to love God, love others, and enjoy it. Hi, welcome to episode 15, Faithfulness versus Discouragement. How are you doing today? Really stop and take a little bit of an evaluation about how you're feeling today. And Before we get really started, I just, in that evaluation, are you feeling like sick, lonely, bored, frustrated? Let me just tell you, if you're feeling sick and discouragement is coming from that place, I highly encourage you to do what I did just a couple of weeks ago when I was feeling ill and discount your emotions about 80%, make no major decisions at this time. And revisit all of those really important things on another day when you feel better. It's always a good reminder to, as we begin this talk about discouragement, to recognize that if we're feeling bad from a physical reason, that it's a wise idea to make major decisions about our life on a different day. <laughs> but if that's not where you're at, if you are just if you are just either feeling great today and want some tips for how to keep away from discouragement, or maybe you've been working really hard and you keep finding discouragement creeping in. Today, we're going to talk a little bit around how we use discouragement and then a good bit about how to overcome it. So I'm so excited to talk to you about this today. The first thing I really want to tell you is one of my habits. I have this bad habit. I've definitely been working on it, but it it frequently dogs me, and here it is. What it is is when I begin to notice something that isn't working or I'm afraid something isn't going to work out and I start to get worried about it, I have this little system that I go through. The first thing I do is I, I gather all of the things together that aren't working. It's like, oh, there's this one area of my life that's not working, so let's build a collection Let's build a collection of all of the things in life that aren't working right now so that we can look at them all at the same time, because that will somehow validate me in the feeling that something's not working is if we collect them all together. But doesn't that really just make us feel more and more discouraged and more miserable? (laughs) Well, I just want to encourage you, if you are a collector of discouragement or a collector of all of the areas of life that don't work, if that's one of your tendencies, then you are not alone. And so I encourage you to notice it and just notice that there's an opportunity to choose something else today. Assuming as we begin talking about discouragement that we aren't dealing with something more serious like Uh, clinical depression or something that really needs more than just a mindset shift, I want to encourage you around a few different ways that we use discouragement. And then we're going to let's talk about how we can avoid it. So 
thing is that discouragement can be a habit. You know, when my kids were little, they did all kinds of crazy things that I had to worry about. Like they would run out of the house and steal cookies that other people had made because we lived in a building where um, right next door to our apartment was a main kitchen where some of the women would bake fresh cookies every day, every other day, and we could smell them in our apartment. My children would run out there and steal cookies out of their pantry. And so I was always having to make sure that uh, that they were okay. We homeschooled, and as a result, when we would go on trips, those were times when we would be the most exposed to different germs. And as a result, for a number of years, our family frequently got the most sick on any type of vacation we went on. And I became very good at how fast can you change a grocery bag out of a sippy cup so that they can puke again. It really was a place of getting so familiar with crisis management that I began just, it was necessary in all of life in order to be able to live and have any kind of sanity, really. And it's, it's part of just the process of having a lot of kids really young that can't really fend for themselves. Having one child or two children on a vacation and you need a children's medication, it's no big deal to run to CVS. But if you have six kids that are sick, you do not want to go to CVS pharmacy that many times. You just don't. You want to have it there on hand. Needing one Band-Aid from somebody, no big deal. Needing 18 Band-Aids from somebody, that's nobody carries 18 Band-Aids except for us with large families with lots of little kids. That's who we, we have the 18 Band-Aids. So what happens is when we are in situations in our life that cause us to deal with situations and learn how to manage crises in a much more efficient way, it can create this sort of pattern of control, pattern of analyzing, pattern of planning, pattern of worry. And what happens is that discouragement can quickly become a habit. It's just a part of life that we do it this way on a regular basis. And so when it's not there, it simply just feels unfamiliar. So my first question is, is do you have a pattern of discouragement as a habit simply because maybe you've gone through some sort of trauma or maybe you've gone through a very busy season of your life and you're just in the habit of trying to control the circumstances around you and always be looking out for what's not working? If so, I encourage you to just release it back to Jesus. Give him back some of that control and say, and practice this idea of it's, it's okay to not be prepared for every second. It's okay that everything doesn't go exactly the way that it needs to go. It, that God is going to take care of us, even if I don't have all of the band-aids, you know, there's grocery stores at around the hotel, we can buy what we need when we get there. It's not the end of the world. You know, some of these different things that we can release the control and put that back in his hands. I really encourage you to up your trust game in God. You know, in conjunction with this, 
one of my favorite phrases is the past is not evidence of all that is possible for the future. We have a tendency to feel like it hasn't worked up until now. And so therefore it won't work. And that's definitely a pattern that we can get into when we're in that habit of discouragement. But coming back around and seeing that trust and faith in God means that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means we have not only a past history of total failure, but we also have the projection of the future of total failure, except for God. And when Jesus steps in and he pays that price for our sins, the possibilities for the future completely transform. And it's something completely different. It's the possibilities have nothing to do with the way things have been up until this point. It has everything to do with what is available to us in the future. And that can really be applied in so many different ways. I think of even the practical example of Thomas Edison trying over a thousand different ways to create a light bulb. His past failures of all of those 999 different experiences were not evidence of what was possible because electricity and an actual functional light bulb, functional light bulb were, were possible in spite of the fact that the only evidence he had so far was that it wouldn't work. And we can really apply that to our situations with our children, with our families, with our with our schedules, with our health, and let's jump out of that habit of discouragement and recognize that Jesus has made a way for our life to be victorious, to be abundant, to be joyful in spite of anything that has gone on before. You know, the second thing way that we sometimes use discouragement is that we worry over time. Now, it doesn't necessarily always, uh, we don't notice it as a worry of time, but that's a lot of, that's often what it is. If you'll remember in the Bible where it talks about the parable of the servants that got the talents, the master went away and he gave three servants different values of money. He gave one 10 talents, he gave one five talents, and he gave one two talents. And he told them to take good care of it until he got back. <clears throat> when he returned, you'll remember in the story that the one had, had that had 10 talents invested and made 10 more. The one who had five did the same thing, doubled their investment. And then the one that had just a couple, he went and hid his because he didn't have very much. He didn't want to to end up with none, he didn't want to waste it or not have it. And so he hid it and didn't use it at all. And when the master comes back, he, he praises the first two servants for taking good care and investing their talents. And he corrects the third servant for squandering what he had. And in relationship to this worry over time, I noticed as I read that story in the Bible that I often would think, wait, there should be a fourth servant. Who's that fourth servant? Where's that fourth servant that got seven talents and they went out and they invested it all, took that risk and 
when the master comes back, they actually lost everything. And they're like, oh, I really did go out there and I tried to invest it and I did the best I could and I failed. And where is that servant? And often I would really resonate with this feeling of what if I'm the fourth servant? What if I'm going out there and investing and in other people, in lives, in my children, in my business, in, in my church, in schooling? What if I invest in those areas and, and I don't get a return and the master comes back? I haven't gotten the investment. And all of a sudden, then what? There's not an answer for that servant. I was talking to my sister one day about this particular parable and using this little analogy of what if there was a fourth servant? And she was so encouraging. She said, but I think the point is that there isn't a fourth servant. There are only two options in the kingdom of heaven. You either invest and it pays off or you don't. There's no other option. God didn't show us another option, which I personally found encouraging because number one, what that says is if I'm in the space of feeling like my investment hasn't come back yet, that I haven't really made back all the effort that I put in or we haven't seen the the reward on the other side, then clearly we aren't done with the story yet. We still have the time available to continue investing and doing the best we can to make wise use of our time and talents and money and energy and love in the lives of other people. And there's still time for that investment to pay off. And it will. We can can believe that. So, So I was really encouraged that oh yeah, it's just a matter of it's not time for the master to come back. And so I can really, with courage, move forward and take the risks, make the investments, knowing that God lives up to his promises. He He will make something good out of what we give him. There is no other option. Isn't that encouraging to your heart? You know, the third way that we sometimes get into a stuck pattern of discouragement is by focusing on what ifs. What if it doesn't work out? What if I don't get there in time? What if I run out of money? What if I don't figure it out in time? What if that other person doesn't figure it out in time? What if all of my help ends up not being very useful? What if they what if they ruin it right after I walk away? I tell you, when I when I was 40 years old and I moved back in with my parents, with my seven children and my husband who did not have a job, there were definitely a lot of what ifs days. I was wondering, is this going to turn out okay? What if we never find a job? What if we can never find a house that we like? What if we run out of money? It can feel so discouraging. I think also what pops in there is shame. Shame comes in and says, any normal, fully functional adult at 40 years old with seven kids would be responsible enough to have their own house and job and car and money. And they wouldn't be 
living back in their parents' attic and basement and whatnot. That is the definition of a failure as an adult. (laughs) And it causes us to believe and pay attention to lies about our situation. And that in turn, that shame and believing those lies and really paying attention to them prohibits us from reaching out and asking for help. We get embarrassed and really draw, like put up a wall between us and the very people in the church and the community that could really help us and support us, that are longing to see us succeed and really share some of those vulnerable opportunities. I tell you, some of the most precious conversations I've had are with people who I have shared, you know, I had to move back in with my parents and and the challenges and the blessing that both came from that experience has really been a testimony of God's glory and getting past the shame and speaking out what was going on in spite of feeling embarrassed about it has really been a testimony of his goodness, of how God really has restored relationships in our family. And I don't regret it one bit. So I encourage you, if shame gets into your discouragement and you start to feel embarrassed about something, the remedy is to talk about it, tell somebody about it, because chances are you're believing some lies. And if you can get on the other side of that and recognize them for lies and have people that will support you, the discouragement will flee. So let's talk about, so those are the three ways that we end up getting stuck in discouragement. It can be a habit. It can be a worry over there's not enough time. And it can be, it could come from focusing on a lot of negative what ifs in our life. Let's talk a little bit around how to overcome that discouragement. The first one, we'll start at the the end with the negative what ifs. Of course, We have just as much opportunity to focus on positive what ifs as we do to focus on the negative ones. It's such a great opportunity to do things like journal what you're feeling anxious about and frustrated with and the negative what ifs, but then turn around and look for those positive what ifs. What if it works? What if this is the day that they come to salvation? What if this particular method of trying this particular curriculum with the with this child actually succeeds, actually helps the light bulb turn on in their brain? What if this is the one that works? What if this next effort for my health is the one that changes everything and turns it all around? What if this is the thing that I end up being super consistent about? What if this next vulnerable conversation I have in this relationship is the one that really draws our hearts together? What if being willing to come back and have a conversation with my husband is the thing that helps us be more intimate in our relationship and be more connected and feel more love and respect from each other? You can look for those positive what ifs. Find the joy in life by looking for the joy in life and the possibilities of where it's available in the future. We get to find excitement and joy 
love, freedom, but it really depends on what we're looking for most. You know, it's important to recognize that choosing something else in these moments, we're not waiting for a feeling and then make the choice. The choice comes first. We make a choice to make a list of things that work. We make a choice to, regardless of our feelings, to focus on what ifs that are exciting possibilities. And then we get inspired by the possibilities that we come up with. The bonus is that the more often we choose what is supportive, the easier it will get to choose it. You can do things like put post-it notes all over the place, reminders of how God has shown up for you, how what is possible, what's available to you, how your faith is really holding strong, thinking about the things of whatsoever are true and lovely and just and a good report and thinking on those things. You know, often our feelings end up driving the train of our of how we feel like reality is. We feel bad and therefore we feel like everything isn't working. But the truth is that God's abundance and his and the joy available doesn't disappear just because our circumstances change or just because our feelings change. His abundance, his joy, his love is all still available at every second of the day. And so we can look around and say, hmm, what feels expansive? What feels like believing in the abundance of Jesus? What feels like stepping into the faithfulness of God in my life? What feels like remembering what is possible with Jesus? The second thing we can do to overcome discouragement is we can turn those lies around to truth. Things like, I'm so tired and people don't listen to me. I'm not doing well enough yet in my health. I deserve what I get. I'm not smart enough. Maybe this punishment is for something I did. We can turn these things around to truth. And sometimes we'll we'll try it and we'll be like, I'm not tired. I feel great. And the next thought we have is, that doesn't feel true at all. But let's just stop and think, how often do you loop lies in your head? How often do you have them on repeat of, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. We actually change our feelings by the the lie that loops in our head. It's like a little circle we go around. We say it, so then we feel it, so then we believe it, so we say it, so we believe feel it, and then we believe it. But we can do the same with truth. I'm not tired. I have all the energy I need for today. People listen to me and instead of people don't listen to me, my kids really are willing to obey. I am doing great in my health. I've come so far. I'm going to do so much better in the days ahead. I'm committed to this. The truth is that God makes this possible for me. I can believe him and trust him. I can stand in faith that he's going to see this through. He gives me the power to be consistent. He gives me the power to say no to temptation. He gives me the power to thrive and to be in joy. We can loop the truth in our minds just as easily as we loop the lies. It just takes building a new habit of that being okay, that it's really okay to loop that truth and believing that our feelings will follow as we focus on it.
In fact, I would be surprised if, as I'm saying these things on this podcast, if you aren't getting a little bit inspired yourself of believing of what is possible for you. What is possible in the strength of the Lord? What is possible in your faith? What is possible for your prayers to be answered? And as we remember the truth, it's inspiring. It's motivating. We want it more. Aside from just turning those lies lies around to truth, we also have the opportunity to focus on God's goodness completely in all different aspects of our life, in our body, in our emotions, in our mind, in writing, in however you want. Like there's so many different ways that we can take the focus off of man and, and our own failures or our own inadequacies and really focus on the strength that he gives us, the faithfulness that he comes through with us for us, his goodness and gratitude, really focusing on how powerful he is and how he has the opportunity to get the glory from our life. Different ways we can do that are we can change how our physical body responds. Sometimes, you know, discouragement feels like all hunkered down. And we can change our physical body by just doing some sort of different movement. Maybe it's taking a walk or doing jumping jacks or dancing or skipping around. Or maybe it's just standing up and shaking all the parts of your body and maybe even laughing about it because it feels silly. But that movement helps the blood flow. It increases your dopamine, which helps you feel better and often just that chemical response of boosting boosting that natural response in our body can change our whole dis- perspective. Laughter does the same thing. Watching something funny, uh, telling jokes with my kids, watching uh, them be silly with their food or run around and do awkward things in the yard and cartwheels that don't work, or maybe they do, or games that we play and jokes that we have. All of that really contributes to feeling good, which gives us this perspective that life's going to be okay and that God really is looking after us. You can also change your emotions quickly with those things, but also you can change them with music. Like, do you have a playlist that you listen to that elevates your spirit? Songs that remind you of who God is and also who he created us to be and how his power can work in us. Do you have music that you can just put on and it will change your emotions immediately? And then, of course, gratitude, changing our mind, focusing on the little wins that God gives us, the the success, the action that we take, the way that we do the hard thing and then celebrate it. Are you celebrating the progress that you've made? I know that sometimes in my health, I get discouraged because I don't see a lot of progress in certain areas, but there's nothing like having a little gratitude of noticing how far I've come, noticing the different eating habits that I've, the different choices I've made in my eating habits, noticing how much more consistent I am with daily exercise, noticing how I'm taking better care of my 
body by sleeping in a good pattern, you know, like enough hours at night and taking really good care of myself. So those are ways to focus on God's goodness in different, different aspects of our life. And then the fourth one is to get out of resistance. I think about this one with my kids. Sometimes they'll be really frustrated and I'll come in and say something funny and they'll start to laugh, but then they get mad. Have you ever had a child or maybe yourself do this where you, you start to make them laugh and they're like, stop it. Don't make me laugh. And you know that they're really wanting to feel bad for a while. Like they're choosing to stay angry and they're annoyed that you're trying to help them not stay angry. This is a little bit of a truth check, but if you're feeling discouraged and you feel a resistance towards making a different choice, I encourage you to ask, what are you getting from staying discouraged? What benefit are you receiving? Like you don't have to show up and put forth any effort or you don't have to keep trying or it can be somebody else's job to fix it. Things like that. You know, we get something out of being a victim or being right because what it says is we don't have like now it's not my responsibility. And that can be very tempting to go there when we're discouraged or we're tired or feel weary from trying something that isn't working. Like, well, I guess it didn't work. So somebody else's problem. And then we don't have to do the work because it's somebody else's problem. But I encourage you to recognize the rewards that you get from staying in discouragement. Call them out and ask, is this a reward you really want? Like long term? Or am I willing to do the things that support me in life to take that responsibility? Get out of that, that resistance mode and into acceptance like okay I can do something about this with God's strength I can step into something different and then of course there's the obvious physical things like are you taking good care of yourself right now like drinking enough water eating good food journaling getting exercise spending time with Jesus in his word staying in integrity are you maintaining a clear conscience is there something nagging you that you haven't taken care of all of those little little core things that keep us feeling well are so important to just check in and see, hey, are any of these off? We, in the effort to overcome discouragement, we choose to give no place to doubt and fear. And as soon as we notice it, we say, uh-uh, not today. We give no place to things that haven't worked and the times that are blown it, that we've blown it because the past is not evident of what evidence of what is possible for our future because God has always worked things together for my good. He's always working things together for your good. I can trust him. You can trust him. The people that you have in your life that you're most concerned about we can trust God for them. We can believe that God is looking after them just as much as he is taking care of us. We can stay focused on him because he is faithful and therefore we can be faithful and we can testify to his faithfulness and his work in us. 
So I hope that this talk about discouragement is really the most encouraging message that you will ever hear from discouragement. What one next step are you going to take today to knock discouragement out of the park and really focus back in on what is possible? I'll say it again. Your past is not evidence of what is possible for your future. Thanks to Jesus Christ. I look forward to touching back in with you next week. We'll be on a new fruit. We'll go into love in this next month. I can't wait to explore that with you, especially around this holiday season. Take care. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Fruit Pursuit with Mary Aldrich, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. To hear more great ways of growing your mindset in the fruit of the Spirit, please subscribe. You can listen to other episodes and find additional resources at fruitpursuitpodcast.com. To learn more about Mary Aldrich and the coaching work she is so passionate about, visit maryaldrichcoaching.com. And by the way, what one next step are you taking today?